Hey, what is up, everybody? It is Harrison Barron, your host for the Brutally Honest Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do greatly appreciate it. Like I said in previous shows, I'm going to keep this intro to less than five minutes. I promise you guys that. If you guys haven't seen already, now the podcast is live on YouTube. Well, not live. It's recorded and then posted. Um, I only just very recently started doing this. I'm starting to figure out everything uh, I'm still testing some things, so it's not 100% yet, but you can go check it out. If you search Brutally Honest Podcast, you can search for the logo, and you'll see it all right there. You're welcome to hop on there. I would really appreciate the subscribe, and you guys can watch the show and everything like that. So that's that. The I know I said the five minutes, five-minute intros. Um, if you want to check me out, Harrison underscore Baron, you can check out the podcast, um, every, Brutally Honest Podcast everywhere, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and if you guys really enjoy the show, support it on Patreon, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Brutally Honest Podcast. I have a couple of Patreons out there, and thank you guys so much for helping make this show possible. I really do appreciate it. Uh, it means the world to me, and anybody on there that's supporting me, it just helps a lot. Uh, and I'm starting to think about some different and unique content that I can start offering you guys that will give you guys more of a reason not only this sounds awful but not so much give you guys more reason but add additional value so for the people that are supporting me on patreon something that'll continuously add value to you guys uh i'm looking for and once i find that i'm going to start posting it maybe it's just little you know hangout sessions or it's a q a or maybe it's a show summary and stuff like that i think it would be a lot of fun it's definitely something that uh, i want to get into because i see a lot of other patreon people giving away cool stuff and i just ask you guys to support me so that's that um, look, you're listening to the podcast, so you're supporting me anyway. Uh, if you guys want to check out the website, brutallyhonestpodcast.com, that's where you can go and, and read and learn all about it. And that's it, guys. That's really it for the intro. The show sponsors. Today, we have one sponsor, agiledragonconsulting.com, A-G-I-L-E-D-R-A-G-O-N, consulting.com. Now, if you are a business and you are looking to, I know I say this every time, but it's really the God's honest truth, guys, I promise you. If you are looking to help grow your business and make better educated decisions based on your data that you already have, it is worth looking into it, guys. They are going to help you as a business owner make better decisions for your business based on the data that you have. So I'm going to give you guys a little summary about what I do. I have a media company, Baron Media Group. Getting data and utilizing data to make it more efficient is absolutely one of the most important things your company can possibly do. Because of that, Agile Dragon Consulting is going to help you do all of that. They're going to make you make better business decisions. And upon doing that, that's just how it works. It just makes sense you have to ever you you need data to make better decisions and that's what they're going to do for you so go check them out agile dragon consulting.com all right guys and that's pretty much it that's that's the show that's three minutes and 30 seconds my guest today is my friend and before i say his name well you, you actually you've already probably read his name so it's George, his name is george lucarezos lucarezos and he is, for for those of you that don't know, like myself, just a f few short months ago, I didn't even know there was such thing as intellectual property, uh, lawyers and stuff like that. And he has an incredible story. Uh, we we laughed. We had a great time on the show. And he's just a super swell dude. 
I had a blast on the show. I love learning. I love learning like super intricate things like this. So for me, this was like this. Every show seems to be amazing. I really don't have any bad shows. I do a really. I try to do my best job picking my guests, and this show. I just left charged up. It was awesome. It really was. So, without any further ado, guys, please welcome my guest, George Licarezos. What's up, buddy? Thanks for coming down. Thanks, Harrison. Thanks for having me. Hey, anytime, man. Anytime. I'll lift this thing up just a little bit. Perfect. Sure. There we go. The uh, yeah, I I've, I thought you were a Nassau County guy, so I was gonna say welcome to the East End. But knowing that you live, I guess, more out east than most people, it's a good thing. Exactly. Yep. I'm up in St. James. So the uh, how is it over there? You like it? I like it. Yeah, we like the North Shore. Yeah, it's always. Um, we were looking for a place to. To move out from the city and okay yeah. oh you live in the city we used to live yeah where'd you live in the city i lived in bay ridge brooklyn okay. grew up in uh that area nice lived there for about eight years after we got married nice and then said hey let's become suburbanites <laughs> <laughs> Suburban- <laughs> suburbanites well we had no choice uh, my firm moved out to uh further out east okay it, originally uh, i was with the firm in nassau county okay like in by the nassau community college okay it wasn't a bad commute reverse commute did it for about eight years from brooklyn to sure. uh, uh uniondale and then uh, like we said okay let's uh split off go to uh, that's so, a big um, transition yeah so they went further east and i said all right i'll follow them along wow <laughs> yeah. so what was that just out of curiosity because i you you grew up in new york city yeah in brooklyn brooklyn yeah, born there so what was that like moving out east because that's definitely most people do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I went to law school at, in Long Island at Toro okay. Law School, so sure. I kind of knew, knew about the island. And I we would come out here uh, every now and then, growing up, for like summers. Um, so it wasn't a foreign country. Like sure. I know some Long Islanders <laughs> think, think New York country. City is a foreign country. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> like they'll like I'll meet people. They're like, "Yeah, dude, I've never been to the city." I'm like, "Whoa, you know, how can that be?" But um. That's crazy. Yeah. I feel like you have to go to the city in order for you to be a true New Yorker. Right. So, um, yeah, it wasn't. So when we moved out here, I kind of I, I, I like the city, but it was sure. more like want to be closer to work. Sure, sure. And I'd uh, commute further out. So, but I, I commuted for two years after they started the firm in two thousand and two to uh-huh. two thousand and four. Then we were looking for a place and moved out here. Like I think it was June two thousand and four. Sure, sure. In. Very interesting. But it's good. And we, you know, we we still go into the city. I'm, I'll be there later today. So sure. It's not a, sure. It's not too bad. Yeah, I try to stay out of the city. Yeah. Um, it's just it's too far from here. You know, I don't. I don't. It, you're a little bit, little bit closer, but for me at least, it's like two and a half hours door to door. By the time I leave my house mm-hmm. and get to wherever I need to go in New York City, it's it's at least two hours, two right. hours and a half. Yeah. Yeah. No. That exactly. I mean, I usually plan a lunch meeting. Okay. And, like, Get there by eleven. Okay, because I like driving in. I won't take the train. So You'll drive in. I'll drive in, um, and then be there You're by eleven, and then get out by three. All right, so it's yeah, not that bad. Yeah, no, it's not. Bad. Try to beat the rush hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, that's uh, like a few few days a month. Most of the time, I'm I'm in the office. Yeah, here. yeah. I uh, got you. All right, so that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, anything in New York City is easily most of the day. You know, mm-hmm. it's got to be either I try to s- stack. 
you know, meeting after meeting after meeting exactly. in New York City, mm-hmm. or that one meeting better be either a great deal or a great opportunity that I have to spend my whole day traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I didn't even realize how easy it is from like Nassau County, to, like yesterday when I went in. I'm like, okay, it's only an hour. I'm like, great, you know. <laughs> yes, it's the parking situation wasn't the greatest and stuff like that, but I was like, wow, it's so nice to only have an hour-long train ride. I think it was like 50, 56 minutes when normally it's like 90-plus minutes from over here. Mm-hmm. And not that it's a bad thing, but it's just like so much time sitting there. Yeah, I'm like, you could get lucky sometimes and you get in quite early. And yeah. Other times you're just stuck in traffic. But, yeah. That, that yeah. I give you credit for driving. Yeah. I could never... I don't even like driving through the city. So, um, all right. So let's bring it to some business here because you have a very interesting, uh, I would say most normal people not in business development don't know what an IP lawyer is. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no idea what an IP lawyer is. I don't think I know anybody that knows what an IP lawyer is for the most part. Unless they're in the business world and they know that they need to, t- the, to do can't speak to protect intellectual property sure so mm-hmm. tell i guess tell the listeners about exactly what you guys do and how you do it and and then i'll i'll, pro- I'll prod you with more questions sure <laughs> yeah um yeah my firm is called carter de luca and farrell we're, okay. we're based in melville and we're all intellectual property attorneys uh but we even but then we specialize in patent law okay which is part of intellectual property you have copyrights trademarks patents most of our f- firm's practice is patents and then a good portion of that was also trademarks sure so on on the patent side is you working with companies innovators entrepreneurs to protect their innovations technologies we have um, companies that are in the life sciences sure so we come across companies and entrepreneurs and innovators across many different sciences technologies sure and we help them protect that and make sure that it, they get um, either patent, keep it as a trade secret, and we guide them a lot of advice and guidance uh, for clients that we provide, and also helping them make steering steering them away from any litigation. You don't want coming out with a product only to find out somebody's got a patent on it, sure, or there's a few patents on it. Yeah. So we work with them early on in the product development phase, making sure they steer away from any potential pitfalls where they may step into somebody else's intellectual property sure sure and then also at the same time seeing if they have anything that's patentable to protect so do you guys what do you research what other people have already made yeah we'll do like a pan search as far, and as far as patentability goes we'll do a pan search okay and find out hey um you may not be able to get a pan on this because there's something similar mm-hmm. um and then we advise them if you make it maybe what they call non-obvious a non-obvious improvement over something that came before you may be able to get patent protection. But if it's just a tweak and it's maybe considered an obvious modification, then hey, I don't think- What do you mean an obvious modification? Well, that's what the law says. Um, First of all, it has to be novel. That's the first part. Most things are novel. What is novel? Like meaning it's it's unique, different. Um, Because I know nothing about this. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been done before. Sure. Um, But if, if somebody's got the same idea previously, obviously it's not patentable, somebody else thought about it. Sure. Uh, whether they got a patent before you or they published about it or they made it and sold it just because it came 
somebody did it before you, you, you can't get a patent on it. Sure. Sometimes people say, hey, I don't see that. There's no patent on this. Can I get a patent? I'm like, no. Somebody, <laughs> no, somebody else no, thought about can't. it. Uh, it's out there, so it's not like you can oh, get, a, get your own patent. But if you make an, what they call a non-obvious improvement, meaning that you come up with your own design sure. or tweak or modification that makes that product better, and you can persuade the patent examiner, hey, this is a better product and it's got certain advantages. There's a need in the marketplace for something like this. Mm. Um, and then you can overcome an obviousness rejection. That it's just because you can't get a patent just by changing the color or changing the shape, for instance. Sure. You know, and, yeah, but still uh, perform yeah. the same function. Exactly. You want to come out with something that's um, much different and there's some advantage to what came before for that same product. So this might sound like a dumb question because I don't I don't know this industry, but like so, what if I created, um, like a steel water bottle like, or an, a stainless steel water bottle like this, mm -hmm. and then somebody else came out and I and I patent this entire thing, and somebody else came out with this exact same thing with a different top, mm -hmm. still does the exact same thing, performs you know exact same functions, and they went out and they decided to go sell that. Mm -hmm. What is the what happens? What is you know where does the infringement come in and all that kind of stuff? Right. Well, in that case, you will look at your invention. Let's say you got a patent on that. You'll look at, at the, what we call the claims portion of the okay. patent, and the claims are like a deed, a real estate deed, where it defines the boundaries of the property. Sure. Like 100 feet northeast by 50 feet west. Okay. Um, so the claims in a patent describe what you're claiming as your invention. So if your claims are narrow that somebody else can come out with a different uh, water bottle, um, then they can say, hey, I'm not infringing because you're claiming a certain specific um, a, a product and mine's different than what you have. But if your claims are broad, it may cover other variations of the same idea. So then they may fall under your claims and then be, be infringing. But that, that's that analysis that goes in. But and that's what the patent office looks at when you are applying for a patent. Hey, are these claims too broad based on what's out there? Mm -hmm. um, and then you can go back and forth with the patent examiner trying to get that right sweet spot of your, what your claims should read sure. based on what he finds, based on what you don't want to go too narrow. So because that's what happens when your patent issues, then you, you want to be able to have some scope of protection where it, it's not so narrow that anybody can just design around. Mm -hmm. then that's, that's actually how we help clients. We don't want them getting narrow patents, and then it's not worth the paper they're written on because it's so yeah. narrow. Yeah, at, yeah. at that point, we may say, hey, it's not worth getting a patent. Interesting. Uh, so, we, no, so, yeah, to answer your question, if somebody has a similar design, it's, you, you have to look. They may not be infringing. A layperson may say, hey, that guy is selling the same product I have. But if you look at your claims, it may be because you got a patent because it's, it's the way the – the water's kept cool. Nothing to do with the shape, or nothing to do with the the cover or the top. Oh. So it's got you got to look at the claims. What what your protection is? Interesting. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different, per se, moving parts that go into a patent and patent law and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely um, a lot of analysis. Um, you you, I recommend a patent search. Don't file a patent application. Pay the fees. Pay the attorney fees only to find out from the panel office, hey, if you only did a search, uh, there's two, uh, two other guys with, who had the same exact idea. But uh, so pan search helps you also, not, doesn't necessarily always kill the 
your idea because it may help you because sure. then you say, oh, look, this is what came before. Yeah. Um, if you go back to the drawing board and come get around what came out before, mm-hmm. and then maybe you have something. But if you go down this road, you're going to get rejected over these two other patents. Um, so it helps the inventor mm-hmm. go back and maybe redesign and then come back with another design and say, okay, what about this? Sure. Or am I, am I different enough from what you already showed me? Um, and then you, you know, there may be a, a, a path forward based on doing that search. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, this is – I just want to make sure I'm understanding this, right? It's like, hey, this is what's already there, and you already have a similar idea, so how can we change it to make it patentable or – Right. You kind of guide the um, the inventor. So gotcha. You go back and see if you can make it better or different. And sometimes there is there, the, they can't make it do anything further and say, okay, that was my idea. I really can't it's, – let's say it's a consumer product. It's, and they're thought about a particular product that they want to come to market, but it's already out there. There's nothing else you can design to make it d- different. They're, you know, they're happy they didn't spend a few thousand dollars getting a, a patent application filed. Maybe they spent a couple thousand just to get a patent search and analysis done. And, and it saves them money. And also, you, and also, as the attorney, I don't want them two years later saying, uh, when they get rejected, like, oh, you know, why didn't we do a search? So yeah, it's always yeah. good. I mean, I, I highly recommend doing a patent search. It helps you um, frame the, uh, the, the the technology. It helps you frame the claims if you do go forward. and also helps the inventor understand what's what came before. Sure. And now predominantly, who do you see inventing things? Is it major companies or is it a lot of um, – this- you know, a lot of people like in their basement or their garage, mm-hmm. just sitting there messing around. Like, who predominantly do you see more of making these inventions? Well, in, in our firm, we have clients from individual inventors, startups, middle market companies, all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. Okay. Um, if you look across our firm, you will think most of the pants applications are filed by large companies, which they are. Yeah, generally, you know, we we have many clients that file pants, but in a course across the whole United States and the world, most patents uh, here, most patent applications are filed by the little guy, individual inventors really? working on their own, um, f- figuring stuff out, uh, trying to grow businesses. And that's the small business um, that you hear about a lot. Um, no, they try to succeed as far as if they're a technology company. Uh, if you don't have some proprietary patent protection on mm-hmm. what you're working on, chances are you're not gonna go far. You're not gonna get investors. You, um, if you make a, a some, uh, if you get some niche in the marketplace, there'll be knockoffs that you can't stop because you got to know uh, pans to back you up. So mm-hmm. it's the individ- the small businesses generally who file the most pans, even though most people may think it's the large corporations. Really, they, they may get the most pans. Uh, like say you have the top ten pan acquirers each year top tech companies but most applications are, are oh but the general populace general populace is, is uh generally just inventors small businesses and middle market companies mm-hmm. very interesting yeah. and then uh in the, so, some individuals as well hmm. mm-hmm. i would have never guessed yeah um that's pretty what now what's i guess so now you have all these these little inventors making stuff i guess what's the most obscure what do you think is the most common do you get a lot of people you know, big you know companies or non-companies that are saying, "Hey, we want to develop this," and you guys are doing homework on it. Do you, what do you see the most of that's already been invented, or like, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the things that you see on a regular basis? Because I can't even imagine. Like, I I know that you've shared stories with me 
and and our group that like you know oh somebody came up with this you know you tell me about that like water blaster thing and i was like oh that's pretty cool you know mm-hmm. I'm like i feel like something already like exists like that but apparently i guess not or you know if she's getting a patent for it or whatever it is so what's like the craziest thing or you know somebody comes or the most generic thing that people say oh i want to come up with this and they don't do a patent search until they come to you guys you guys do the patent search and 20 people already made that right no uh, yeah generally um we see th- mostly from the individual inventors, you'll have consumer products, uh, something they saw a problem uh, uh-huh. in, in their daily lives and like, oh, let me come up with a solution. And that's generally the definition of an inventor. You, you okay. see a problem, you don't just overlook it. You're sure. like, oh, like, how can I solve that? Um, so we've seen um, a lot of uh, products for the home generally um, that people come up with, mm-hmm. but chances are somebody thought about that idea. Uh, you'll do a search and you'll you'll find that there's so many uh, pants uh, in that area really um, like a toothbrushes is something we we see every you know three four years somebody will come in with a toothbrush idea and you do a search this is the greatest thing and in the world. Like, and, and you find like this everything's been done uh really done um no then they got into smart toothbrushes some companies got patents in that but you got to keep moving the uh, goalpost as far as technology goes if you come Ooh, up I with like something run, run of your mill idea chances are it's been already thought about but if you push the envelope, say, and what we see lately is making things smart, a smart uh, light bulb, a, a, a smart, uh, uh, say, keychain, or sure. you know, things like that, um, a, a smart uh, um, water thermos, right? Um, you see. Yeah, I've seen those before. Right. They're wild. Yeah, those are typically what you see now as being protected, but that's, that's going to eventually fade off. Panel office will eventually say, hey, making another thing smart. Uh, is now obvious. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Unless, again, it goes back to the analysis. Can you show that it's not obvious? Hey, no, nobody thought about making, uh, you know, maybe a, um electric socket smart, uh, you, know, mm. you know, being able to detect when it overheats. I'm sure that's been done. But sure. if, if you find a way that you can make something smart and prove that nobody thought about it and it makes the world a better place and there's a need in the marketplace, mm-hmm. yeah, there'll be pants for that. But you got to keep thinking two, three generations down the road. Really? Do you ever see people, and I feel like this would might, might be a niche industry and per, maybe something that exists, but do you see people that go out and look at different patents, take the idea of what it was, and then reinvent it almost? So like, let's say I have a patent for this. So Joe Schmo in his house says, I could make that water bottle way better. You know, I'm not going to come up with an idea. I'm just going to find somebody else's idea. And they take this water bottle and will say, make it smart. Mm-hmm. You know, so now it's a smart water bottle. It's got a self-cooling chamber inside and all these different things. Do you see people that do that? Is that a thing? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a regular business model. But okay. in the course of inventing, that's what inventing is. You look at an average product, uh-huh. consumer product, and you say, how can that be made better? Sure. Um, again, thinking a- ahead. I have a client who recently came to me who has a, a bad back. So he has a dog and he couldn't bend over to p- put the dog food um, in the dog uh, uh, tray. So he's thought about some kind of mechanism that lifts the, do- the dog tray uh, to a height, <laughs> <laughs> right? So why wouldn't no, he? Very simple idea. <laughs> why wouldn't he go down, not up? <laughs> uh, right, so it, I guess so he lifts up so you can put the, the water, put the dog food in, and then press the button and it goes back down. Um, oh, interesting idea. You know, he's not an engineer. Uh-huh. So I'm just like, look, I mean, it's very basic. Let's do a search. We did a search. No, there's, as you can guess, there's pants on that. 
Really? Right. So. Oh, I would have never guessed. No, there. I wouldn't either. That's why we did the search, right? Sure. You do, you do the search and you're like, hey, people have thought about this. Um, but then, like I said earlier, it helps you define where you want to go with it. So sure. then I said, look, go, go home, think about how to make it smart, how to make it electronic, how to make it maybe um, something totally different. A, sure. A, a basic mechanical. Yeah, an air apparatus. pump in it or something like that. Right. Or... So he teamed up with a uh, product development company that I introduced him to. Uh-huh. They did some tinkering, got some mechanical engineers on the project. They came out with an awesome consumer product that's smart. Now you can have an app. You can control it from remotely. Can you find it online? Um, it's, it? it's not available yet. We, oh. we filed for a patent, uh, and, I, and but he took it to the next level. Sure. Now sure. It's, 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 I can see him taking this to Petco and after he manufactures it, and it'll be the next best thing. Uh, it, it, it's app connected. It, sure. You can, you can uh, go through the cloud and maybe uh, keep data. Sure. When did the dog eat? How how many times a day is it, is it full? It's not you know, all these things. So you made it smart and I made it better. I feel so dumb. No, I mean, <laughs> no, don't feel that way. But, <laughs> but again, we sometimes we tell clients, hey, sure. go to a product developer. Uh, and they'll and help you out. They'll help you out. Now, the product developer may come up with it, with ideas in the course sure. of developing that product. And um, just to get a little bit into who's the inventor now. Yeah. Those guys are considered inventors because you get some mechanical engineers to come up and design all this. They're they're are inventing. Sure. So when you file the pan application, not only you, do you list the original guy who thought about the idea, uh, and who with the, but you also list the product developers uh, as, as an inventor. Interesting. But then they assign their rights, right? Because you know, you're paying them for their sure. ingenuity. So then they assign their rights to the pan, to you, to the, to the inventor. Oh, I Or to you. your company. Sure. I mean, that's another thing we have to make sure when we speak to clients, hey, if you're gonna go to a product developer or to a software developer, sure. hey, make sure those agreements say that you own the intellectual property. Um, there were issues where when clients will come to us after the fact and say, hey, I got this software developer saying that he owns the copyright to my code. And I'm like, let me look at the agreement. And so, lo and behold, it does. It does. And you're like, wait, you know, if he, you know, he he owns it, you never put in anything in there that you will own the IP. So those are things that your clients should watch out for. That's insane. Mm-hmm. So people have definitely gotten, they've made misinformed decisions, and just you know, here's the legal paperwork. Okay, great. Here's the legal paperwork, and we didn't even realize they signed over all the rights. Right. You to should always have an attorney look at anything you sign. Oh uh, my god! Yeah, because you can sign away the code, and then they you know, they own it. Let's say you want to take it to another. Your company grows, and you want to take that code to a larger company to mm-hmm. manage it, right? To tw- tinker with it. Sure. And that guy is he, he, you're basically held hostage. You know, if you have to buy it back. Or buy it, you know, you never had it. Buy yeah, it from, yeah. Buy, buy yeah the, you already oh, paid him, and now you got to right. buy it from him. Right. Jesus. Right. right. If they're willing to uh, to sell it, right? And they, they may also have in their agreement that anything they develop, they can also use it for other clients. So you uh, think you're getting something proprietary, but now they're, they're building they the code. They can just go sell it to other people, They can people sell it to somebody else or white label it for, for somebody else. Interesting. So those, you know, those How does white labeling work? Well, uh, white labeling works like uh, if you have a, a – an invention. Hold on one second, because I want to make sure I explain what white labeling is to everybody, because they might not know. So white labeling, and you actually could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but white labeling is if you have a product invention or service, let's say, made by one company, you sell it under your company as a different named product. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have the ability to sell that, but you're ultimately, at the end of the day, paying the company that originally invented it, correct? Right. It's okay. More or less. Yeah, like you're the inventor, but mm-hmm. you don't have brand awareness. People don't know who you are. Sure. So you may uh, license or white label the another name onto your product mm-hmm. or license it to another company to put, they put their name on it. They'll sell it through their distribution sure. channels. So now the, the consumer sees Disney on it. Right, um, that so, was never made by Disney. Right, so they it's more likely it'll, it'll sell than if you're just selling it on your, under your own name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's more like branding in a way, uh, branding sure. under a, a, a more well-known name in the marketplace. Okay, all right. So you continue on your on the white labeling thing. So um, no, we were saying that um, you can uh, have the make the product, mm. and if you don't have the distribution channel, you can definitely license or get a trademark from somebody that can put a more well-known name on your product and mm. sell it. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, uh, so sometimes companies come to you and say, look, um, that's usually the better deal. When companies come to you and say, I see you have a good product, uh, can we white label it and sell it un- under our name? Uh, that's better because now they're paying you. Sure. Um, as opposed to you going to a Disney saying, can I use your name? That's not yeah. really white labeling. It's more like you licensing the trade. Yeah, when Disney seeks you out, it's a hell of a lot better deal. Right, than, than if you're seeking them out. Cause then, yeah. they have, then they're like, yeah, we'll give you the, the name. Because they have the upper hand. Right, but then you have to pay us uh, so, you know, so much money up front. And- yep, yep. Interesting. That's the uh, that's one thing that's blown my mind recently is, is these major, major companies – putting their brand or sponsoring different things and just it's it's a very unique way of getting their brand out there so uh to use disney for an example uh one of the biggest youtubers on the internet this guy pewdiepie he was sponsored by disney for a very long time Mm -hmm. and he would just talk about disney nonchalantly and get all these perks and this that and the other thing and i'm pretty sure that they seeked him out as opposed to the other way around right but it's just incredible to see like where these companies are going to get their publicity Mm -hmm. mind-blowing in my opinion yeah yeah i mean sometimes it helps i mean i've done talks um to um to uh, cpas where (laughs) that they represent a lot of celebrities and entertainers and actors sure and they they're open to products to put their you know, endorsements. You know, they, so if you have a good product, um, I, I have inventors every now and then that may have a, a, a product that maybe a celebrity can endorse. Oh wow! So it's good to have those connections. Sure. So usually the accountants know. Uh, who we need to get a celebrity to endorse the Brutally Honest podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I, mean, I have a client right now who's. Um, Got a nice uh, product, um, and no, we can't say what it is because uh, okay. it's we just filed the patent. But here we, we under some non-disclosure agreements, we'll be talking to some potential celebrities or the, at least their reps, sure, and see if somebody is willing to you know put their name Take on it, it or, yeah, even, yeah. or even you know they sometimes they get paid just for appearances, you know, to wear, show sure. the product. Yeah, that's another crazy mm-hmm. thing too. Actually, one of my former clients um, was one of the guys that made the Funky Duck. It was like the the. Um, the, the hover, hoverboard, remember the, that craze? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The two my, wheels on the, right, on the sides, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. One of my clients, one of the brands is Funky Duck, and they had. You know, I don't know if this was Funky in, Duck, Funky Duck, P H U N K E Duck D U C K. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So they they had some celebrities. Um, I'm not sure if it, they, they did it oh, themselves wow. yeah, or cool. if they the celebrities just found the product, and they appeared on the on some late shows and with the product. That took pick, off, took off their sales. Yeah, that's crazy. One of the uh, actually, somebody I just had on uh, prior to you, um, 
this guy Jim, and he uh, he started Polyglide Ice. I don't know if you ever heard of the company. No. But he was on Shark Tank, and we talked a lot about how Shark Tank will, like, just when it's it's crazy because the episodes now is a couple years old, and he has a synthetic ice where you can ice skate on it. Um, oh, great yeah, I've for, seen that. Yeah. yeah, great for hockey, great for figure skating, like all these different things. Uh, his product is actually uh, was just used in a Disney film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, have, hearing him and the, the you know he talked he told I don't think he talked about it on the air, but like the patent process and, but more so these celebrity endorsements. And he didn't have any celebrity endorsements, but he was telling me like he had a viewing party for uh, his product for when it was on Shark Tank, mm-hmm. and. You know, they ramped up the website so it could handle all the extra traffic, this, that, and the other thing. And the moment the website, the the show aired, the website traffic like skyrocketed, skyrocketed, and selling things and all this. And he's like, it was insane how much traffic I got from just that airing of it. Mm Because I've done it too. I've literally laid there and been like, oh, it's a cool product. I mean, you know, you know, even if they didn't get a deal, let me go check it out. Sometimes I look at reruns and I'm like, oh, let me see whatever came out of that company. So, and that's what he said. He goes, every time it reruns, Mm -hmm. I still get a lot of traffic. He goes, it's not nearly as good as it was day one, but it's Mm -hmm. pretty wild how much traffic I still get from that thing. Right. And I'm just like, that's, you know, is that like what, you know, I don't know. I but is that like what happens with celebrity endorsements? They just wear it and or they just talk about it briefly like, check out this stainless steel water bottle. It's mm-hmm. so nice. And then, boom, it's like hotcakes. Yeah, like um, I think it was the Academy Awards recently. Um, apparently the, the people, the, the top nominees, I think mm. whatever, 25 uh, nominees in the main categories. Sure. Apparently they get a $150,000 gift bag with all these items in there. Because uh, thought is they're going to probably – Put it on, wear it, show yeah. it somewhere to their somewhere, friends somewhere. Yeah. So a lot of these companies are giving them like price, very expensive uh, items that they can just wear post, or show off, yeah. post some, you know, if they like it. Um, that, that's the the idea. But yeah, yeah, you can always find a nice uh, social media guy, uh, influencer to sure. kind of show off your product. That's the one thing I've been not struggling with, but trying to tell people about the social media influencers because obviously I have a social media business. And trying to explain to somebody what a social media influencer is who has no idea mm-hmm. is like trying to teach somebody Chinese. Mm-hmm. It's like they just can't grasp the concept of like how somebody with not even that many followers can have such a tremendous impact on getting a product sold or getting, you know, whatever done. And it's just insane. Right. You hear that, hey, they're asking a tremendous amount of uh, money up front sure. to mention your product or even um, recommend it. But the the sales that will will explode, it'll sure, will make, make a company. It, yeah, yeah. It, could, it could make a company. Mm-hmm. But you know, you also you got to pay for it. It's, it's mm-hmm. paid marketing. But mm-hmm. you know, it, there's all these different strategies. But it's it's just wild to see. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised that we still use them so frequently. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm surprised also. I mean, I, I you know, they but they definitely they, their name speaks for itself. Sure, like they're an influencer. You know, they, uh, they influence. Where I've really seen it work is like with women and women's clothing. Mm-hmm. Like my girlfriend will go on Instagram and be like, oh my God, look at this. Like it's the most, be- look at that dress. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's a piece of cloth. Right. <laughs> it does the same thing as everybody, you know, all the other pieces of cloth out there. Right. And they're like, no, no, it's amazing. And then I look at it and it's like $300, you know, oh, I'm thinking about getting it. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it, whatever they're doing is working. 
mm-hmm. but like I, it's so rare that I see something online where I'm like, you know, eh, I'd buy that, mm-hmm. and then it's even rarer that I actually go and buy it. It's such a small amount. Right. Yeah, me too. I, I, I never was a type of person to buy things that are marketed. Yeah, you know, but you know, people do, and but it goes. It it also shows that you can be a small inventor mm-hmm. t- today compared to 20 years ago, sure. and definitely don't have to spend a lot of money to get your product out there uh, through social media. You can advertise. You can use crowdfunding to get it, uh, get money to manufacture it, right? help with um, sure. uh, distribution. So it's much easier now to be a small little business with an idea, get a patent, and be able to get your product out there. Yeah. As a, you, you even have 3D printing now. There's some products that you can 3D print and uh, at least sell a few samples and or take it to a trade show. 3D printing is crazy. Yeah, and get get a nice uh, get orders, right? So as opposed to 20 years ago where or even you know when from the history of of, of people were inventing stuff. Sure. You know, you not only did you have to have the the idea and then you have to pay for manufacturing, a lot of money up front, sure. you got to advertise, pay for expensive advertising. Um, maybe do mailers that cost money, right? Mm-hmm. Or take out an ad. Now you can build a, a nice, successful business around a good product that you make come up with or, and sell it on Amazon and use mm-hmm. social media and, and uh, do your own printing, sure. own trade shows, do your own nice professional-looking flyer. Do so you guys... it's easier to get known yeah. as opposed to uh, – and have your own website, right, and sell stuff. Like you, that's what you do. Sure. Do you guys get a lot of prototypes from th- people with, like, 3D printers? Um, not so much, but really, but no, we do hear uh, people say, "Hey, I'm I'm making another um, prototype. Uh, I have a printer." I mean, but we don't really uh, like when they come to us. They'll come with figures, CAD drawings. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, so every yeah. now and then they'll bring a prototype in. Interesting. Uh, but generally, um, we're there from the beginning where they're doing the product development. They're not mm-hmm. even yet for, uh, made the product. It's more about hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I got some CAD drawings, some uh, what we call SolidWorks. It's a program that yep, yep. you can design stuff. So they're like, here, um, can you search it for me? Sometimes you know, they, they, we get less than that. There'll be like a, a, a hand-drawn sketch. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's this is my idea. <laughs> hey, um, I did this at lunch. Do you, can you guys write a patent on this? This is, I think this is this will sell. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, um, that's usually the individual inventor. But the, a, a small business to large companies, they'll have CAD drawings. They'll have some mechanical sure, drawings. Sure, sure. So we'll start with that, and we'll say, hey, uh, we'll we'll do what we uh, like an analysis, make sure that if it is it whether it's patentable. And then on the other hand, hey, it may be patentable, but can you sell it without infringing somebody else's uh, product? Sure, sure. Um, you know, that that's generally what we try to explain to. The client, they be like, "What do you mean? If I if I get a patent, I can't sell it?" Yeah, like, no, patent patent is what we call a negative monopoly. Sure, you get the right to prevent others sure from making it, manufacturing it, or selling it, but it doesn't mean you can actually go to market with it. Sure, uh, um, it, may, it may you may may have a better idea of, a, and someone else may have the broader patent. Sure. So then we also say, "Hey, let's do what we call a freedom to operate analysis. Say, can you bring it to market?" Oh, uh, and okay. that's when uh, in that part of the analysis, you're only looking at patents that are still uh, enforceable. Sure. Right? If the patent has expired 30 years ago, there's, yeah, you, you, you Oh, patents be, expire? Yeah. If they expire right now 20 years from the time, from the earliest filing date. Uh-huh. So they do, they're not forever. They, uh, they expire. So if Interesting. Some, so I actually would have guessed it would have been 56. Because um, no, 56 years is the... 
is the amount of time that has to lapse from when a um like Disney's actually doing a really bad disservice to the public domain because Mickey Mouse and that kind of stuff yeah, is that's copyrights though. Yeah, copyrights last longer. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, so there's a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? Well, copyrights uh, last. Um, they, they, I believe it's like ninety, uh, hundred twenty years from the uh, from the uh, authors. Um, yeah, I don't get involved in copyrights, so I don't know. But it's hundred twenty <laughs> years from the time it's published. Sure. Um, I, but there's other rules too. If it's a work for hire, um, uh, then it may be uh, uh, longer. Um, so, but yeah, those the, the copyrights can last a long time, and that's a lot of it that has to do with Disney uh, lobbying, Congress to kind of extend, keep extending the copyright. Laws. Yeah, they keep extending it. Right, that's copyrights. Yeah, because they because uh, it would have gone into the public domain already, like Frankenstein, Dracula, and all that kind of stuff. Well, a lot of that has like the original Frankenstein story. Now you know, it's, it's over a hundred years old. So yeah, that, that's expired. So anybody can come up with their Frankenstein. Yeah, um, I guess. Uh, idea the next story yeah story yeah, movie the whatever trilogy whatever, whatever. sure uh, um but uh like uh, like sleeping beauty right so it's an old uh, uh story uh, sure all these stories by hans christian anderson uh-huh. you know disney took those but no they, they had long expired the copyrights oh yeah but on the patent side it's 20 years from the earliest filing date the, the term of the patent gotcha so and a patent has to be a product or it could be a process process uh chemical formulation yeah, it could be. So, a what's method. the difference between copyright and patent, though? Well, copyright is um, you're protecting the ex- expression of an idea. Oh, okay. Whereas a patent is more a, a product, could be a process, some, sure. something that um, can be put into production, can be manufactured. Got- oh, well, copyright okay. is like a, like a story. Gotcha. Okay. Or you know, a, a painting or a musical. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They, yeah, what they call expression of an idea. Sure, sure. Mm hmm. I got you. Oh, I didn't. I actually didn't know that there was really much of a difference. Yeah, and then trademarks the protects the, the the branding, like the, uh, your name, your slogan, sure, any taglines. That uh, um, that's trademark protection. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it could also another form of trademark protection is what they call trade dress, where you're protecting how something an item looks, mm-hmm. like the Coke bottle. You can take the label off, right? And you, yeah. You'll know it's a Coke bottle or the Orangino bottle. That's examples of trade dress. Like you don't have the name on it but people looking at it will know that's a coke bottle so a trade wow. dress um is another form of trademark protection oh my yeah. goodness so for trade dress you're not really doing anything formally you're not filing anything with the u.s patent and trademark office sure it's more like uh, after many years of some people recognize that as hey that's a coke bottle uh, but um with trademark registration uh it's good to get a federal trademark registration, but even with, with ha- using the name over and over again for many years, you can acquire um, trademark status almost like because uh, people re- realize that's your name. Sure. But if you don't have a federal registration, you can only go after copycats in state court. You can uh, you can bring a, a federal trademark action, and you want to be in federal court when it, when it comes to uh, you do or you so don't you do right okay. right. There's um, th- cases move faster. The, the courts recognize the federal courts are more appreciative of trademark laws because they they see more of that than a state court. Yeah, uh, and also there's uh, statutory damages um, that are involved uh, as opposed to. Uh, state state laws that generally are not there's no much t- teeth on it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is super interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm also very. 
I can't imagine that people. I I I mean you're right. The, I just think about the Coke bottle, and I'm just trying to like piece together like what else I know of that like if you saw it without a logo on it, you would obviously know that it's that. There's probably way more than I can even imagine. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, I'm sure there's more. There's more. That's the, usually the two examples I give. That's just crazy. That's and then so when it's trade dress, there's no literature written up, and it's just or it just falls under the trademark itself. Well, it's it's if if it's a bottle that people will recognize, like for example, it's the Coke bottle, and sure, you, and you come up with an infringing bottle, right? Coke will bring you to court under uh, tr- the trademark law, the trademark act, the federal. Trademark oh, act. oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and just say you know that this is our product, right? Right, it's our trade dress, right? It's our ownership. That is insane. I mean, look, it's it, it's obviously happening. Well, it's protecting your proprietary sure. uh, name, sure, uh, look of something, sure, um, your product if it's apparent. And like as you can tell, um, copyrights are the longest. Trademarks also actually are even longer. If you, as long as you use a trademark, you can keep um, having trademark protection. Okay. Your trademark registration, for example, a name. Once you get the registration, as long as you show every so often oh, that, you, that you're using the name, yeah. the trademark can last forever, right? But a patent will expire 20 years from the earliest date. Drugs are patented, right? Right, you can get uh, patents and drugs. And then, right, the, the, yeah, because I remember that was a big thing a couple of years ago. I think it was Tylenol or Advil. Their patent was expiring. Yeah, patent, yeah, those patents. Um, yeah, I think Advil expired. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's not in my space, but yeah, they definitely are patentable. Um, and then you, you once the the patent expires, you get, uh, or even sometimes before the patent expires, you get generics to come in, uh-huh. right, and try to take a, the market. Um, after your patent expires, I mean, the generics can come in, but if they if a generic wants to take a stab at being sued and then arguing that your patent is invalid, some generics will come in before your a pharmaceutical patent expires. And oh then they'll goodness. be like, uh, you know, they'll get sued and then they'll try to prove that your patent may be invalid. It's, but definitely after your patent expires, you know, it's, it's fair it's game, fair game for everybody. And now when your patent expires, what can you repatent it or is it done? Like it's public no, domain? It's done. No, that product, it's done. You cannot extend the, 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 the patent. There's, there's some patent term extensions that uh-huh. you can apply for even before the patent expires. Um, and that's because maybe the patent office took too long to get your patent out, out so they'll give you some time. Sure. Or you got to go through FDA ap- approval if it's a drug, so they'll give you more time on the life of the patent. But once the patent expires, you're pretty much done. Um, un- unless you know you, you have an improvement. Right? It goes back to being an inventor again. Mm. If you have an improvement on that drug, let's say you came up by mixing another compound into that medication it makes him the efficacy goes up uh, it makes it a, a better uh, benefits that you didn't realize before mm. now you can yeah um, quick release coding or whatever yes. something that's gotta happen right, you can apply for a patent again and argue that that's a non-obvious improvement over what you had earlier because uh, the, the examiners uh, they're smart you know, they're, they know you may be trying to game the system trying to extend your life of the patent sure but if because you they show, want because you right, want to make more money right but if you can show hey no i'm not trying to game the system uh, this is a better product now because we formulated better we figured out if you t- do this and that or whatever so now what happens to the old patent it's still there it just no, it's still there it's 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 a, an, an expired patent so if you come up with an idea down the road and when we do this pan search, uh-huh. we'll find those pants. Say, hey, you know, you can't pan that because look, somebody else came up with the even idea. if it's expired though. Yeah, cause if it's been done anytime, it didn't even have to be patented at some point or another. So if you uh, file a patent application, 
the examiner usually looks at patents that are either expired or pending or I mean, or enforceable or pending applications. And then he'll come back and re say, hey, most of the nine out of 10 times the first time around, and usually percentages are higher than that, they'll say, hey, this is not patentable uh, because look at these references, right? And then you have to persuade them why you're different or amend your claims sure. um, to narrow the scope, perhaps. Yeah. But if it's expired, isn't that public property now? Or It's public property. So if, if it, somebody says to you, hey, that's you can get a patent on that because look at this other patent. Oh, because it was already patented, it's already but patented. It's, it's you can still use it. Right. You can then go into business, right? Making uh, the, you can sell that product, but you won't be able to get a patent on it. That's uh, a good gotcha. question, right? Sometimes vendors say to me, um, can I get a patent on this because I want to sell it? And you're like, well, you can't because somebody else already had a patent. But the good news is it's expired. So, so you can sell so, it. Yeah, you could sell it. But then if somebody else uh, knocks it off, let's say it's a patent that nobody realized before describes an awesome product, right? It fell through the wayside. No, the inventor never that got the patent never did anything with it. You find this patent and you're like, wow, that's that. why didn't they ever do anything with this? And the answer is um, many reasons. It could be that they never had the money mm -hmm. or they tried to license it. They didn't get any bites. But now you may be able to bring that product to market and not be worried about infringement because the patent has expired. Um, you know, you may still want to do a freedom to operate analysis just in case there's some patent out there that's not expired. Sure. Similar, maybe broader, and they, and then we can look at that um, and tell you, I think you're in the clear. I think you can sell that product. Um, now, if you if that patent has not had not been expired, mm -hmm. you can definitely call up that owner. Let's say he never he never did anything with it, and say, hey, do you mind? giving me a license let's say he, sure. he the patent is still enforceable he paid his maintenance fees because after your patent issues you got to pay maintenance fees the, uh, every three four years so he paid the maintenance fees and you're like oh okay the, the patent's still enforceable <coughs> you haven't done anything with it you might give me a license sure. i want to sell this and generally if they're smart they'll say yeah look i'm not doing anything with it make me a decent offer and sure i'll give you a license um so sometimes it's it's a good thing when we do a patent search like we said earlier, it can help you define your invention, but it also can you can uncover that somebody else already has a patent on it, and now you, they may be willing to license it to you. And short circuits the whole process of you getting a patent, going back and forth with sure. the examiner. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. got something, then you can yeah, go. Yeah, you don't even have to deal with that. Right. You just call them up and say, hey, I want to sell your mm -hmm. product. Mm -hmm. I think I could do it. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, and the, some of the largest companies make money on licensing their patent portfolios, like IBM. Sure. Uh, so sometimes you'll think, hey, it's a big company owns it. They're probably not going to license it to me. Uh, you'll be wrong. If they're not doing anything with it, it's not costing them anything. Yeah. Right. Why not license it? Because then they'll just make extra money. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And some patents that large corporations get are not necessarily because they want to practice that invention. Sure. They just want to make sure they have the patent because they came up with the idea. And maybe some someone along the way can license it. Or they can bundle it. Or sure. And sell it, right? Um so, like, and there's another type of uh, patent guys out there who are called bundlers. They'll look at different technologies, maybe pick one technology. Let's say autonomous cars, which is hot right now. Any area that's hot, robotics, autonomous cars, drones, they'll find out who's got patents who are individual inventors, not mm -hmm. necessarily tied to any company. And they'll say, hey, look, I see you got a patent on this and that. And then they'll bundle, let's say, a bunch of patents on drones mm -hmm. or battery technology. And then they'll go to large companies and say, hey, I got 
50 patents here in battery technology you may be interested in. And they may make more money on that than the individual money that they paid out to buy those patents. So, you know, there's a different way. It's all intellectual. It's an asset. Uh, people don't realize yeah. that intellectual property is an asset. Um, even though you, it's nothing, it's paper or an idea. Yeah, non-tangible. Right, non-tangible. You can definitely, um, has value. So you can sell it, license it, uh, bundle it, and sell it as a big package. Uh, Very wild. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's, it's it's a great area of law. Um, you you're dealing with uh, especially patent law. Uh, um, uh, the copyrights and trademarks we call that soft IP. Okay. Anybody can go to law school who doesn't have a technical or scientific training. Yeah. And practice intellectual property as sure. well as copyrights and trademarks, licensing agreements. But on the patent side, you have to have a technical or scientific background. Uh, first of all, you have to go to law school um, to be a patent attorney, and then also pass the U.S. Patent Trademark Office patent agent exam. Mm-hmm. And the only uh, way you can sit for that exam is if you show you have a scientific or engineering technical background. Oh, really? Right. Oh. So, so only so all of us in the, in our firm, sure. we, we have either science background or engineering backgrounds. Like sure. my background is electrical engineering. Your background. Yes. Yeah. So that's the only way you, you can sit for the patent agent's exam to practice patent law. I mean, now you can be an IP attorney, but you can't do patents. You maybe do trademark sure. rights. Sure, wow. So there's a lot of training that you, or a lot of knowledge you gotta have in order to. Right, because you look at, I mean, you're talking to engineers. Like I consider myself sometimes in, during the day or when I'm working on a project, more of an engineer than an actual attorney. Sure. Because you're work, working with engineers, you kind of understanding their technology, figuring out sure. what's novel. And you got to speak the same language. Right, exactly. What came before that? Uh, why is that, that uh, nuance of a difference uh, makes the product better? Sure, sure. Uh, so you got and then be, be able to explain that in layman's terms. Um, examiners are technical, uh-huh. uh, but they're reading so many applications. You don't. They can't to, be a master. They can't be caught up in like very highly technical uh, language. You got to boil it down to something that's understandable. Uh, but it also it's got techno- it's got enough technical information in there that, that somebody can somebody can read and understand what what you're talking about. Um, it can't be basic, uh, b- uh, dumbed down. It's got to be yeah. Enough there's got to be a somewhat level of high level exactly literature. Wow. That's incredible. So now, I guess explain to me about, uh, you know, how did you become, I'm, I'm very, I, I think I've, I know we've broad brushed over it once, but how you became or how you got into doing what you do. Right. Well, I went straight to law school from engineering school. I majored in electrical engineering at Polytechnic University, and that's part of NYU, school, the School of Engineering of NYU. Um, I went straight to uh, law school. I just knew I wanted to... Um, practice patent law when I found out about it as mm-hmm. a junior in college. I didn't see myself being a troubleshooter all my life working in a lab trying sure. to f- you know, figure out circuitry, uh, design circuits. Uh, it was interesting, but I felt like uh, I needed to be more like uh, either the management role or uh, some different role. So then I found out about patent law. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting career. You work sure. with engineers, you you get an engineer background like we just mentioned. And it, you're working with companies, helping them grow. I like the entrepreneurial aspect that you can help with a small business, get their inventions protected so they can get uh, investment money, makes the company grow, um, innovates, the, uh, uh, helps bolster the economy. So I went straight to law school. Um, but most patent attorneys, I would say, generally uh, work as an engineer or scientist for maybe 10, 15 years, and then they mm-hmm. want a career change, but without leaving 
behind their science yeah, they don't training. Waste it all. Right. Um, so they, they, they'll go to law school at night or during the day and then change kind of change career paths. And instead of now working with a patent attorney, you become the patent attorney working with the scientists or the uh, engineers. Wow. And that's generally the case with the people that practice life sciences in, uh, in patent law. Sure. Because they're usually PhDs um, with uh, tr- heavy-duty molecular biology, sure. organic chemistry training. Um, and at that level, um, they, you know, they work as as a PhD at some pharmaceutical company or research company, and then it's, and they get uh, familiar with patents and patent protection. Sure. And now they're working with patent attorneys in house, and then they, or outside counsel for their company, and then they say, "Oh, that's something that looks interesting," and then they go to law school. Mm. Jesus. Yeah. Look about someone's going to make it. I mean, that's a lot of work, but it's just, it's for, I guess, you guys, it's such a different transition because you're coming, you know, you never left your background, mm-hmm. which I, I appreciate. I don't, I don't love when people leave everything that they've worked on and worked for. And I totally get it. People are going to change careers and change industries, but not to utilize all that knowledge that you gained for, you know, I. I see it every once in a while where, you know, oh, I was this, I did this. You know, I'm a CP- I was a CPA and now, you know, I went out and I, you know, did this or I'm starting to do this or whatever it may be. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you you had all this knowledge, you had all this training and things of that nature and you're just going to throw it away when there's probably some kind of minor tweak you can make in your life mm-hmm. to, to change it. Right. So it's not stagnant anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a re- it's a large part of why people leave their jobs. Yeah, people don't like them, just that the other thing. But like they just feel stagnant. They're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right. Exactly. And and I've been on many panels over the years uh, to talk to students about alternative careers in, sure. in uh, engineering, if you're an engineer major or science major. Actually, next week I'm going to be at, at the Albert Einstein uh, Medical College okay. talking to graduate students who are pursuing degrees in life sciences about patent law. Sure. I'll be one of several panelists. There will be a financial guy there, sure. a patent sure. lawyer, and like alternative careers. There's another guy who's in management, you know, people who got training in life sciences or engineering, then uh, went into different careers. So that's always interesting because like, when I was in uh, in college, I I had I stumbled across panel on my own, just reading articles in career services, looking for another because I didn't want to be in, in the lab and I was sure. looking for something. Um, but now it's you know it, with, with uh, the internet, um, is a good resource. People can find different yeah. stuff. And like I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm always out there speaking uh, every now and then when kids say, "Hey, I want to know what a patent attorney does," because I'm I'm an engineering student. Uh, I'm thinking of going to law school. Mm-hmm. I want to know uh, if what is it about. So sure. yeah, I like talking to the kids and explaining to them what we do. Sure, because I think it's a, one of the best uh, legal professions that out there. Oh, being a patent. Yeah, I think so. Because you've seen technology. Sure, you work. You're helping companies grow. You get a and, lot of everything. Right, and, you, and, you, and if you're working for a firm, you see so many t- different technologies. One sure. day you may be working on robotics. The next day you're working on a consumer product. The next day you may be working on aerospace defense. Sure. Um, uh, and especially now, I mean, this is a great time for technology. Uh, it's uh, so much stuff. It's only moving things quicker. Move, things move faster, right? Because in in the past, like maybe 20 years ago, when I first started practicing, uh, you may get a, an invention patented, but it, you know, before the technology moves on to the next generation, 
it may take 15 years of your invention mm -hmm. being in the marketplace. Sure. Now you, you got to talk to clients and say, look, you know, in five years, this may be obsolete. Let's move fast. Yeah. You, know, let's, yeah, you, know, yeah. you can't wait. You know, you got to move. So you're building the businesses quicker. Uh, people are trying to build the, the better uh, mousetrap faster because they, 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 they have all these maker bots and mm -hmm. you can sit there and make you a, a prototypes and, sure. and improve them and faster. So, yeah, so it's, it's all strategizing with the client. Say, hey, you got a nice idea, but let's try get the pan f quicker. And some things we do is we'll follow what we call a track one application where mm -hmm. you pay an extra filing fee. So instead of waiting two years for the panel office to get back to you, you'll hear back in about five months. So it okay. expedites the process, sure. the review process. So maybe in a year you may get your patent mm -hmm. and then maybe build a patent portfolio within a year, year and a half. So, you, cause you don't want to wait uh, three years before you hear back from the patent office. Yeah. That's Another, crazy. You got to yeah. pay to play almost, you know, well, it's, it's, a, it's a new thing. A panel has been doing this now for a few years mm -hmm. where they, it, it, they, it is right. They say, look, if you pay us more, we'll take it out of turn and, expedite the process yeah um, another thing we do where you don't have to pay more it's what we call proactive prosecution mm -hmm. where you can call up the, once you see the an application has been assigned to an examiner because mm -hmm. it's you can go into the uh, what we call private pair okay once you file an application and you can see hey oh it's been assigned to an examiner you call up the examiner and say can we interview this case before you look at it or once you take have a chance to look at it give me a call and then they may, you know, they may call you up and say, these are the references I found. So, okay, give me a couple of weeks. Let me look at those references. Then you may call them back and say, okay, I see your point. What if we amend the claim to do to be say something like this? Mm -hmm. So that's what we call proactive prosecution, kind of taking, not waiting for the patent office to get back to you, kind of calling up the examiner to see if you can work things out faster. Sure. And again, it moves the process forward so you don't... Yeah, being proactive, you know, yeah, being exactly. reactive. You know? yeah. It's not here, hey, here's this piece of paper. Hey... I see that you the papers on your desk. Let me follow up with you until we get get this thing sorted right. out. Yeah, one of my partners in, in my office. I mean, he's an expert in that. I mean, he's given presentations to uh, many places about proactive prosecution. Really? How he helped a major uh, telephone company, telecommunications company, uh -huh. build the quick portfolio when they were like Johnny come lately in the in the field. Uh -huh. He helped them build a nice big large portfolio of telecommunication patents um, using proactive prosecution method really? methods. And, and the examiners, you know, they they're they're helpful. They're there to help you um, get your yeah. They don't they don't get anything patent. benefit out of saying no. Right. Yeah. They're there. You know, they they do good searches. They find great prior art, what we call prior references, um, uh -huh. and then you know you work with them. And if you, they tell them, hey, this is what I'm trying to do, and then sometimes it may be semantics, and they will help you around with the language and say if you say it this way, you get around that reference, and uh, it covers exactly what you're trying to do. Gotcha. So they're very, you know, they're very helpful in that respect. Sure, sure, that's good. And it's professionals with professionals. It's not like you know the patent attorney or whomever. You know, it's not like it's you're dealing with a high school kid. You're dealing with a trained professional who's been doing this for a long period of time, who understands the ins and outs and how the whole process works and stuff like that. So that I have a huge respect for because it's you know everybody has a mutual respect for each other. Right. Um, so now, what are some of the craziest things that you've seen? You've been brought brought to your attention. I know you share the mm -hmm. ostrich egg thing with yeah, us. Yeah, I have one client in my previous firm who uh, was an ostrich uh, farmer, and uh, uh, he will collect ostrich eggs and sell them to restaurants. Sure. And apparently, you know, he had to go into the pen. To uh, and ostriches are very um, protective of their ostrich eggs, so they they can be uh, aggressive. So he came up with a. Um, a pole with a net that mm -hmm. can control the open and closing the net to be able to grab 
uh, without going into the pen to grab the ostrich egg. Where yeah, was he located? Just it was curious. Texas. Okay. Yeah. So we get clients from all over. A lot of, uh, a lot of ostriches So yeah, in he Texas. was an interesting. Uh, uh, I never met met him. Sure. Uh, and but um, I spoke to him on the phone, told me the the problem, and he you know came out. You know, he saw a problem. Came out with a solution. solution yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And got a pen on it, and apparently you know he manufactured it, and you know, maybe there's not a large market for it. Sure. But, hey, you know you got a you got a pen on it. And that's another thing we, we we talk to clients about is how, what's how big is your market? <laughs> I mean, because sometimes you would say, oh, this is a great idea, and they're like, wait, you know, what what's your market? And how many people are going to buy it? Uh, you know, so to see, can you build a business around it? Sure. So I mean, I have also a management degree in operations management. Okay. More um, uh, managing a company operations. Sure. Sure. So um, I'll sit with a client and say, okay, that's interesting. If it's a small client, and, and say, hey, what what's the market? So that's another thing you have to consider. But uh, some other interests, I mean, we work with all different technologies. Um, I worked on smart toothbrushes when they were first coming out sure. for Philips. Um, done, done some oh, work, that's cool. Yeah, done some work with uh, with the Loon Project, uh, which is Google. Um, okay. Uh, Moonshot Project. What uh, is that? Um, it's putting uh, balloons up into the stratosphere. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah. beaming down internet communications. Yep, I've heard about that. So um, yeah, trying to connect the other half of the world that's yep. not connected. Um, and then we've done work with... Um, all different companies, yeah, from consumer products to robotics to medical devices. We do sure. a, a, a lot of medical devices. Um, I've done work with orthodontics for dentists. Sure. Who, um, actually, who um, saw a problem in his practice when he uh, would help pe- uh, people um, in their dental procedures, and he came up with a better product, and uh, now he's getting investors on board. Um, yeah, we work with um, a, c- a company that does life sciences in the diabetes area. Mm-hmm. I work with a um, company. Uh, another company is, is based in Melville called Leviton. They do home oh, yeah. automation, sure. uh, smart uh, ground fault circuit interrupters, yep, yep. All, all their occupancy sensors. Great client. Um, a, a lot of work with universities, University of Maryland, University of Houston. Really? Mm-hmm. That's wild. Now, how do you find – I can't imagine you just go knock on the door at Leviton – and how do you say it, Leviton or Leviton? Leviton. Leviton. I can't imagine you go knock on the door at Leviton and say, hey, uh, my name is George Lucarizos and I'm an IP lawyer. How can we help you guys? <laughs> like, how does that whole pro- – like, how do you guys find clients? Because this, this is so far out of, like, the norm for so many people. Is it all who you know? Is it you just mm-hmm. bump elbows with them? Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of business development. I'm getting out there, meeting people. Sure. Um, we get a lot of referrals from corporate attorneys. Okay. Who they have clients and they, they say, hey, you got me um, in, in supply agreement done, drafted, prepared. Now I need somebody to get me the patent on my product. Sure. So the uh, corporate attorney is like, oh, we don't do that. Uh, call uh, Carter DeLuca and Farrell. Or um, from uh, when you're working with entrepreneurs, they seem to walk in the same circles with other entrepreneurs and say, "Hey, who helped you on the patent?" Sure. And they you know they'll refer you work. But you know, it's also going to conferences, technical conferences, and sure. meeting people and looking at ideas. And you, it's not like you're looking for business, but business just happens. Cause just happens. Because I, I, I'm, I was always a technology guy. I uh-huh. like to look at new technologies, learn about them. Sure. So I'm going to these conferences, and if you if you take an interest in somebody's work because you're naturally interested in it, sure. People say, "Hey, I want to work with this guy." Yeah, it's much mm-hmm. easier. Much, mm-hmm. much easier. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's super interesting. That that's kind of how it all works, mm-hmm. but you know what you do and is very different than I guess the normal nine to five job. We'll say you know it's not like you go and you know you're not hammering it, you're not hitting a hammer, you're not really you're helping people create almost their dreams to some degree. 
you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, making sure that their dreams stay protected almost. Right. I mean, we, we, we work with a lot of um, families that as a family came up with an invention and, you know, now you're making them, like you said, their dreams sure. come true. Sure. Um, I'm helping a, uh, one family just got a, got a, a few months ago, got a patent on an, a tailgating item that um, now they're talking to about licensing it. What does it do? Can okay, um, you talk about it or no? Um, no, not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's like it's like a cabana for a car, so like for privacy. Oh, that's so cool. Like so they can like uh, say if, if you're at the beach and you want to sure. change, right? So it's like more like a, a quick cabana. I mean, things that are out there are more structural. Sure, sure. You have to like set up poles. And, sure, uh, sure. And this is like a quick that goes onto it like an SUV, and you have quick um, privacy. Um, so it's like a great product. Um, so they're, they're looking like, yeah, bringing that to market. Um, and then we, you know, we have another client um, who's uh, owns like uh, her husband owns a boating company. Uh-huh. So she came out with a um, a, a cover uh-huh. for like a, the, the boat dock, the, the, the docks, the, yeah, the dock carts. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, um, when, sometimes when you pull into a dock it's raining it's, it's and all your stuff that you put in the dock car gets wet uh-huh. so she came out with a nice design cover for that uh-huh. um that you know stay, stays on to the, on the cart and keeps your items nice and dry so things like that and that's you know she's trying you know get out there um marketing it i have another client actually who just came back from a few trade shows who came out with he's a he's got a, he's a professional pool cleaner okay and he's been in the business for many years and all that Carrying all that equipment, he apparently is very heavy sure. to clean a pool. Um, so he came out with a, a simple, lightweight uh, pool cleaner, a uh-huh. vacuum that clean, clean a pool as good as that heavy equipment. Uh-huh. And it's like so lightweight, anybody can do it. Um, and uh, he's selling that. The, the company's called Vac Daddy. So, so that's another cool product. Because this, this is, I just find this so interesting. Yeah, V A C D A D D Y. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great company. I mean, they're they're now getting orders. This, oh, it's loading. Who's your daddy? Okay, interesting. Uh, give a hundred, get a hundred. Oh, so it's still in. Pre- oh, so it's in pre-order. Yeah, pre-order. Yeah. He's, oh, okay. Yeah, he's getting orders at the trade show. He did very well with it. It's going all sure. over all over the country. Wow. Oh, look at this thing. This is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see lots of cool. I stuff. feel like I've seen something like this already. Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing else out there. I mean, that we got the patent on. And now really? we're trying to get some more patents protecting. Because sometimes a, an invention, you need more than one patent to protect it, right? All different features. Sure. I, lo- I love this. Oh, 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 so it's a whole separate vacuum and everything. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, it's so very heavy sense. duty. Yeah. And you can't tell by looking at it. Like, you can pick up, like, all those rocks. Right? I just think it's funny because I don't know whose pool is covered with multicolored pebbles. <laughs> right. And if you do have a pool like that, your rocks should not be in there in the first place. Right. Well, whatever you're doing. Yeah, whatever you're doing, don't do that. But mm-hmm. the uh, no, it's ve- this is actually pretty cool, this little Vac Daddy thing. Yeah. Interesting. It's a, it's it it blows my mind how many things yeah, I mean, another client, actually, you may want to look it up, is called Harbor Innovations. Uh, and both of these companies are based in Long Island. Harbor Innovations. Harbor Innovations. Right. Uh, our Florex. Florex, right. That's the technology. Okay. So it's basically um, using UV light to sanitize the bottom of your shoes. And that's because it's... What? For, that's made for hospitals, but eventually we'll have a, a home. Sure. Uh, for the home. Yeah. Um, 
my client. Is, all, I'm yeah. still so curious. Is, I'm I cannot believe that UV light kills bacteria that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we 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 uh, sat with the client, uh, heard her out, connected her with a product development company because you know she owns two assisted livings and she knew um, bacteria thrives on feet and carry from one room to another and bottom of your shoes. So we designed um, with the product developer and the product, and now uh-huh. you have UV LEDs. When you step on it, they get activated for 10 seconds, and we try and get that down to even like five seconds, uh-huh. and it kills the, kills the bacteria on the bottom of your shoes. So it's oh awesome, right, for hospitals and like assisted living facilities, nursing homes. Right, right. Now she's creating another business separate from her assisted living facility. This is honestly incredible. Microbes, C dot diff, whatever that is. Time. C diff, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't it's know. It's just a, a bacteria. Uh, time, 10 seconds. Kill rate, 93.4. 15 seconds. 96.8. Candida auris. 10 seconds. 96.8. 15. 98. MSRA. I don't even know what these are. I think uh, Mercer. Oh, Mercer. Oh, that's pretty important then. Ten, you know, 10 seconds, 99.9. 15 seconds, 99.9. E. coli, 10 seconds, 99.9. And we're trying to get those, because that's the intensity of the UV LEDs. Sure. Now, um, we're working with a company here in, in New York, upstate New York, called Crystal IS. And their engineers are trying to get the intensity of the light down so, so it kills like half the time. Really? So, yeah, it's going to be, because you don't want to be standing there for 10 seconds or maybe yeah, five seconds. a line or whatever it is. Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Who, this is incredible. I mean, it's so cool. I'm like, th- I, I uh, it's actually funny, the the UV light. I saw this thing. I forget where it was. It must have been on Facebook or something. But you know what a Roomba robot is? Yes, yeah, sure. So, this guy made a Roomba robot for your bed. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that, yeah. And it and it has it has UV light. And it doesn't fall off the side, right? It doesn't fall off the side of the bed, and it goes through the whole all your sheets and kills all the bacteria in mm-hmm. your sheets, mm-hmm. and it just goes around all day long, and then you just take it off your bed before you sleep in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what a time to be alive! <laughs> like it's just it was so like they're like oh you know put all these blankets on it, it'll just crawl around under there and mm-hmm. and kill everything and. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's actually funny because I also saw another Roomba robot one, and this was an actual Roomba robot. And it was a, it was a, it was a fatal, terrible story. And you're going to get a good chuckle out of it. But um, they had a Roomba robot, this family, and the Roomba robot would go off at like three in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it would clean all night while everybody's sleeping. So nobody even knows it's on. Sure. And it's cleaning the whole house. Well, the dog had to go to the bathroom. So the dog. I guess didn't wake anybody up one night, mm-hmm. went outside, took a poop in the living room, and the Roomba robot, which was going on, tracked dirt, tracked <laughs> dog poop literally throughout the entire house. Wow. Because it cleaned the entire house. And it's just this hysterical, hysterical vi- mm-hmm. – uh, it was a Facebook Facebook article that this lady wrote up, and it was like – my ultimate Roomba robot disaster, and she and she goes into such detail walking around the house, and you could feel the grittiness and the poop everywhere, <laughs> and all of this. And I was like, "Oh my god!" It's just absolutely hysterical. So that, I don't, yeah. that totally no, I sidetracked you. on it. No, but you no, that's yeah, it's technology. That's all I like about it. So you see all different. Yeah, things. and we saw this technology before anybody else saw it, right? Yeah, so that's the coolest part. Yeah, 
Yeah. You're seeing it, you know, before anybody even knows. And like about I said, it. You, you're working with the company and the uh, product developers. Sure. So you meet, I'm like, I met with the product developers as we were designing all this sure. stuff. So I could get updates on what they're doing, sure. making sure uh, we're not infringing somebody else's pants and all these different features as, sure. as the product is being developed. Um, and so you, you you feel like an engineer, right? You're not a lawyer at that point. You, 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 you're listening, you're hearing what they're sure. saying. What, now, they're, how do you make, I guess... How do you like? Do you get paid for that time that you're learning about the product or whatever it is? Like, how does that work? Because, mm-hmm. well, you generally I like to work with clients uh, and be there. They can bounce ideas off me, so okay. we, I don't want them thinking that every time I call, I call George, hey, he's going to be charging me. Yeah, Especially yeah. a small a, a startup uh, business, right? So. I you know I sometimes will go to meet with the product developers and listen to the client speak to them. Just sure. so I'm there. I'm, I'm getting information to how to write the application, what we're talking about, writing writing notes, and I'm just there, just more as a support and kind of making sure that nothing gets missed. Like they mentioned some idea, and they they may say, "Oh, that's not that's that that may work," but let's go let's go in this direction. Sure, I want to make sure. Even ideas that won't work or necessarily weren't accepted mm-hmm. are put in the patent because later on somebody else may come out with a, a similar pa- uh, product and use ideas that you didn't protect. Yeah. So when a product developer and the client are talking, I'm hearing all those alternative ways that they thought about. So I'm jotting that down. So it's good to be there. Um, and sometimes, you know, we tell clients, hey, even record stuff that you tried but you didn't think it would work right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for that it's it's all about putting. It's usually a package. Like we'll, we'll write an application for you for X amount of dollars, and that includes meeting with the inventors, with the product developers, being oh, on the phone. Cool. Yeah, 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 it's more like a package. I mean, we, I mean th- that that's usually how we operate. So sure. hey, this is how much we think this project is going to run. Sure. You. Now, how long does I guess a patent normally take, or like what is you know? An average application usually is about twenty five to. 30 pages, maybe a little bit more Okay. With, um, with just the, the written part. Sure. And then maybe another five to 10 figures on average, you know, f- uh, showing the invention. Five, 10 figures of like dollars or? No, five, no, not a figure, like of drawings. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I gotcha. yeah. No, five, 10 uh, 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 sheets of drawings. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, oh, so, oh, so you're actually even submitting the drawings and everything. Yeah, yeah. Like you're working with the draftsman. Uh, right? That's why we need the CAD drawings, right? Or, gotcha. or some sketches. So, you want we have a draftsman, a few draftsmen that we use. Uh, we outsource it and say, "Here, here's the um, idea. Can you prepare some drawings for us?" Gotcha. And you know they'll get and they'll and they, they they'll do pan drawings. These are professional pan draftsmen. There's certain requirements that you have for the drawings. Sure. Um, you can't just have a sketch artist do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know these are uh, pan. They're mechanical drawings. That sure. Done, done uh, on computer. So. Um, yeah, and then you you refer in your in your description of uh-huh. the invention to the drawing and say, look, gotcha. as you can see in Figure One, um, uh, Figure One A, yeah, Figure yeah, Two, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. One, and you and you have numbers, and you say, look, Figure One, um, Part Twenty Three is a uh, is a valve that when you turn, sure. it produces this torque or that. You know, kind of mechanically describe it. Um, so um, and that's submitted to the patent office with a filing fee. Uh, maybe an additional filing fee if they want to expedite it. Sure. Because uh, you got to do that in the, the day you file. You cannot say later on, well, I, I want to expedite it. It's got to be the same day you sure. file. And then, um, yeah, you either wait two years w- or you know, try to k- keep track when the examiner has been assigned, and then you call them up to proactive prosecution, try to sure. see if you get a, a, an interview. Um, and then, um, or if it's expedited, you'll hear back in four or five months and then try to you know, work with the examiner sure. and get something through. 
So that's the, the process. Um, that's what's called patent prosecution, the mm -hmm. prosecution stage. Interesting. And the, and the whole time you're doing that, the client may be you know, on to the second generation or tweaking the... Uh, so you still want to be in, in communication. So what happens if they're already on the second generation? You just get well, you want to be in Well, you want to be in communication, right? So if they come up with an, some bells and whistles that uh, were not in the patent because these are additional, sure. you kind of make a, a judgment call or base, looking at it say, okay, I think that's not really patentable. You, you're changing the, the color or you're changing the shape. Um, or you may say, oh, that, that's a neat feature. We should protect that. Uh -huh. So then you can file another application. Like, sure. um, like you don't have to file something from scratch. You can file what's called a continuation in part application, meaning you add into the original application by filing it as a separate application claiming priority back to the other one. So let's say you come up with uh, another feature having a display. So you can see, let's say for the foot sanitize, shoe sanitizing device. Mm -hmm. um, it has a display so you can it tells you, hey, the countdown time or something. And that may be something that may be protectable. You may then file another application to add a display, mm -hmm. um, things like that. Um, you know, if you think if that's obvious, you won't do much. Sure. Then you like tell a client, hey, it's not worth filing another application for these additional features. It doesn't. It won't. It's just not as is. It's obvious to yeah. add a display. Um, so those are things you know we we do. That's but you want to keep in touch with the, with the client and the and the product developer, also because. Um, they may now be working on the commercial embodiment, right? All this was basically prototyping. Mm -hmm. Now they're working on the commercial embodiment to go to manufacturing, mm -hmm. and they may change things. They may say, let's say, we, we, we had, um, let's say, a, a UV lamp, for instance, and, um, and I like, oh, let's not use a UV lamp, let's use UV LEDs. Mm -hmm. um, and now they may restructure how the operation works. So you want to know that because you may want to then file another patent sure. to protect the commercial embodiment. Sure. Because they may, the first patent may be, let's say, a UV lamp. Mm -hmm. And if that issue is, doesn't really protect the commercial embodiment because now they switched over to UV LEDs. So if the patent claims all talk about a UV lamp, you're really not given any protection to the product that eventually goes to market if it's using UV oh, it LEDs. Is. So you want to be in communication with at the whole time. I've seen many patents where clients will call us up and say, uh, well, um, I'm selling this product. Will, uh, will I be uh, infringing this particular patent? Mm -hmm. And then, because, um, no, no, I'm, I'm selling this product, but so is my competitor. Mm -hmm. Am I infringing their patent? And then you're like, okay, if the you look at the competitor's patent, and you're like, whoa, what happened here? Yeah. They're selling something that's not in their patent. So there was uh, a disconnect there. Somebody, the patent attorney and the product developer or the company engineering team never communicated back to the patent attorney, hey, we changed the design. So mm. the patent issues, and you, look, and you tell your client, oh, look, good news. You know, they may be selling something similar as you, but their patent is totally different. Of what It doesn't claim what they're selling. Mm. Uh, so that's stuff we you know can look at and advise clients. So a layman will be like, oh, I can't sell that because – they probably have it says pan pendant uh, pan on it. So, but you, you look at the pan, you're like, no, it doesn't even cover that. Um, and that's also good when we do due diligence for mer mergers and acquisitions. Companies mm -hmm. will say, I want to buy that company. Can you look at their IP portfolio and tell us mm -hmm. if it's worth buying that company? And then you'll you'll be like, I don't think it's worth buying it for maybe for for this reason. Hey, they got patents, but doesn't cover their products. Sure. Um, so you can yeah. definitely go into that marketplace. I mean, unless you want to buy them for other reasons. I'm sure. sure they have market market penetration. Sure. I mean, they can also say, you know, mm -hmm. hey, you just need to get new patents on everything. 
if it's not too late. Yeah. You, know, you got a certain time period after you sell something to apply for a patent. Oh, really? Yeah. Once you, the best part is to file your application before you uh, done do anything. Right. But let's say that company is already selling a product. And you're like, wait, hey, you're, you, you, you're selling something that you didn't protect, but because your patent is to a different embodiment, a different model. Let's, mm -hmm. Can we protect that? The answer in the U.S., you can protect it if it's been within like less than a year of them selling it or offer offering sure. to sell. Um, if it's over a year, then you, you, you're barred. You cannot file a patent application. But in the, in the rest of the world, though, you're done. Once yeah. you sell something and you haven't filed a patent application, sure. any, uh, you know, let's say you can't protect it. So it's very important that they speak to us every time there's modifications coming out with a new product. And we tell the clients all the time. You know, I mean, sophisticated clients, the large clients, sure. know this. Yeah, uh, it's the, the the entrepreneur, the startups, um, the that one or two with right. three patents. Yeah, yeah. But even the startups now, you see more younger the millennials being very creative, and they know the the rules. You know, sure. They, they, there's seminars. I, I I present a lot, sure. lots of times. I'll be presenting to. Uh, I'll be doing a webinar next month for French-based companies. Okay. Who are looking to come to the U.S. about IP intellectual property these are oh, that's cool yeah so i'm always out there educating the same thing with my colleagues sure so a lot, a lot of people now know the rules um so they know hey i gotta file a patent right i'm like yeah before you do anything wow um, so th when they say when's the best time to file your patent it's usually the first thing you want to do in, in building your business really you make sure you get a stake in the ground get a filing date even if it's a, a provisional application like a general idea of what you're going to be doing yeah and then following up maybe with another provisional as you get more concrete Sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keeping the process going. Yeah. Then wow. You a, then you have a year from your earliest provisional to file your, um, what they call the non-provisional application, sure. which will get examined, and then we advise them about foreign filing. Hey, you know, you, if you file what's called a PCT application, you can keep your foreign filing options open. Sure. Uh, so it's a lot of uh, advice. Counseling. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Because you slip up and you can cost the company a lot, the value of the company. Right? Investors may not come on board. Or if they are on board, they may want to out. If yeah, they're going to get pissed if they you, don't. You, you just missed your filing date. And, you know, so, and if they'll be right, right? Like if it's a technology company and you don't protect your intellectual property, you got nothing to fall back on. Yeah, yeah, General, yeah. Generally, you don't. That's insane. Do you get a lot of people that are writing code and applications and stuff like that, filing patents, or do you? Yeah, we, we get um, like um, software patents are difficult to protect, but there there are guidelines the patent office has put out that, um, and we follow the case law to see what the courts have deemed as patent valid patents. Sure. In software, they're not. Um, it was difficult. The pendulum starting to swing back the other way. It's getting a little bit more easier. I would say it's 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 a slam dunk, but sure. It's, uh, um, if you follow the, the, the guidelines, generally you have to show that there's some hardware involved and some uh, technical effect going on. Sure. As opposed to just data processing. Sure. You know? So so we look for, when we speak to clients on software, we look for that. I say, okay, is there a real-world application? Are you controlling a robot using yeah. software? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or are you just you know, processing data to figure out how many people are going to go to a restaurant tonight? You know? Kind of look, you know, look, are you looking at data analytics and making predictions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that may be a predictive modeling AI system, but it may not be patentable. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and wow. But if you do, you're using machine learning or to come up with a new drug uh -huh. because you're looking at uh, different patient data sure. and, and, and you're running uh, different uh, analysis, perhaps that's patentable because now you're kind of developing a drug using some kind of machine learning. Um, you know, wow. Where as opposed to 
just doing just one one medicine fits all because that we call precision medicine sure. that's, that's becoming of age and that there's some pants in that area i just saw a uh a i because i spent a lot of time on the internet a facebook video that went viral in this i think it was a japanese company they want to take your dna and based on your nutri- nutrients in your dna they want to serve you food based on that and they're going to 3d print the food to have it be exactly what your body needs wow um so yeah, that that was a science, science fiction a few years ago right now it's real it's i i, I remember distinctly and i've talked about this a couple times on the show that uh i was i was very young like kindergarten first second grade Maybe maybe just a touch older, and I say we're gonna have computers that fit in our hands, mm-hmm. and we're gonna sit there and we're gonna type like this because I didn't I couldn't even imagine a a, mm-hmm. a a slate, but you know we're gonna type on computers like this, and we're gonna be able to see everything. And now we have this mm-hmm. that does literally everything. You know, right. people are making millions of dollars on just an iPhone. Right, exactly. It, yeah. it, crazy. Right, how many patents right protect the iPhone? Right, so many. <sighs> mm-hmm. I can only imagine. I can only imagine that new uh, the new Samsung and not sponsored by samsung or anything but they have a new fingerprint did you see that the new fingerprint detector i haven't seen but it. there's no it's on the screen it uses oh, ultrasonic oh, why oh, it doesn't have your, your, its own yeah it's just port. it's just glass and you just touch your finger there and mm-hmm. whatever technology goes on to sense your fingerprint right it's pretty bizarre like to just think about how now you can put your your finger on any part of the screen or your certain I think it's got to be a certain portion of the screen, kind of like where the home button used to be on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. But you just put your finger there, and the ultrasonic technology, I think they're calling it, I guess, checks your fingerprint to make sure it's yours. Amazing. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, there'll be lots of things going on. I mean, um, I mean the, the, the device with Harbor Innovations, I mean, we have uh, able to track who's complying to who's, let's say, the nursing staff. Are there complying are they sitting standing on it for 10 seconds you know we have um, ways of determining who's complying who's not complying because that helps hospitals right sure because uh now they can go and train and say hey you're not complying uh, or you're complying half the time yeah so, yeah you're so not it, standing so you can long track enough. it right it's like big brother you can yep. track uh, who's doing what that's freaky yeah. uh but, I, that, but it also helps on sure. the other side because you know now you're making sure people are complying sure and using the, the device they have they have things where now where like you know you go to like the Javits Center per se, and you get a little neck bra- neck bracelet or neck band, or whatever. When you go to one of the shows, that neck thing has a RFID thing, and there's RFID readers around the entire place that you don't have to go scan, but it's just constantly taking a picture of where you are in the building. Mm-hmm. Wild, right? Yeah. All of these new technologies that are just constantly coming out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, yeah, we. we not, it's good. No you guys got a lot of work out of you. Lot, lot, yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, panel law and uh, the, uh, somebody's been. T- uh, it's always going to be. Uh, they, they, some some pan, com- pan office commissioner back in the turn of the century uh-huh. said that we have to get rid of the pan office because everything that could be invented was invented. Uh-huh. I mean, how funny is that now, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I know. Some guy was quoted as saying, yeah, we don't need the pan office. And he was the pan commissioner because everything has been invented. Uh-huh. Oh, it's like that. It's uh, I go back to that show Shark Tank. It's just like you think about it, and you're like, how many things are being invented and created and made and trying to be brought to market, Mm -hmm. and all of it. And you're just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I met a company. I was at at MIT last week at a a, a space conference. There's a company there from Southern California that's making 3D printed rockets to take like small little CubeSat satellites into orbit. 
and like they're 3D printing the whole thing, uh, pretty pretty much. I mean, yeah, from, yeah. from 100,000 components in a big rocket to a, a thousand and all 3D printed. Um, and they're gonna be taking small little CubeSat satellites that now universities or small companies can put up into orbit, because now anybody like so that's how miniature, miniaturized technology is getting. That yeah, because you can. Right, used to be. A you don't need company. a person to go in there and do anything anymore. It right. could all be. Uh, yeah, and I met another company when I was there. That's um, like if you want to go to the moon, again, they're saying that will be reality in twenty years. Oh, I absolutely can, right. No, not send people, but to actually send like robots to prospect for gold and stuff and and other minerals. Uh, uh, I think people are going to go to the moon in twenty years. Yeah, even people, but they're saying they can track like the, the, the how the. the if there's solar storms coming, sure. If the meteorite's gonna hit hit the the ship, you no. Know. So yeah, they they're doing that, right? So there's there's so many people just trying to um, go back to space and all these different other technologies to go with it. Yeah, so it's 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 amazing. I was surprised. I'm like, wow, that's going on now. People have 3D printing rockets, uh-huh. printing cube sets that they can put on the sure. rocket. You can 3D print yeah. titanium. Right. I it's I just watched another YouTube video and it was all about making parts. You know, mechanical parts, not multi-itemed. It's all, like, printed all together to serve one function. Mm-hmm. So one of it was, he goes, yeah, this part that we could 3D print will replace 25 different parts to move a thruster on on, right. a, on the side of a, a rocket to adjust it in orbit. And you're like... Yeah, the, right, the mo- less parts, the better. Dude, right? I'm just trying to get to work on time, you know? Yeah, I mean... And you more, guys are yeah. flying things right. into space. Right. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. It That's really amazing. is. Yeah. Yeah, we're working with an autonomous uh, robotic company. Uh, they don't want to be called a car company. They're a robotic van company because uh-huh. it's not carrying passengers. They're using it to um, carry groceries, uh, deliver groceries, prescriptions, food deliveries. What? Yeah, a company called Neuro, N-U-R-O, um, out of Mountain View. I mean, these guys are amazing. They're just building, like, robotic vans that go with traffic and have, like, all these sensors that can determine where to turn, where to stop, uh, and then you can deliver your food. Say, all the errands you run on a typical week, like your dry cleaning, you just buy a foods. truck and it does it all for you. Well, no, they'll, they'll you'll send, uh, you'll tell the computer or you'll, let's say your vendor, your dry cleaner will be just send it. Hey, we'll we'll send the robotic van over with your dry cleaning or your food delivery, right? So, so it's it's amazing stuff that's going on. That's insane. Yeah. That's literally insane. Yeah. God, so Jordan. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah, working with so many amazing companies. We just crushed an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Goes Great. quick. Yeah. The uh, any any as we wind this thing down, any final words, thoughts, anything like that that you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, um, um, I like working with companies and startups. Sure, I, I'm always open to people pick my brain. If there's people out there look, looking at the next best idea and they sure. want help, feel free to reach out. Um, I work hard to look on Farrell in Melville, right sure. next to the Huntington Hilton. So yeah, but we work with companies all over. So I'll I'll meet with you. I'll talk to you. So I'm, yeah, I'm always looking to help love it good stuff you're a good guy george sure thanks appreciate it thanks for having me hey no problem thanks for being here Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. If you have made it this far, I appreciate the heck out of you guys. Go support me on Patreon. I'm telling you now. I really do appreciate it. Patreon.com forward slash Brutally Honest Podcast. That is where you can help support the show. Uh, everybody's contribution to the show literally helps it get a little further. And upon that, it just it becomes a better show. 
with the support I've had on Patreon and, and my sponsors, I was able to get a nice camera and now it's on YouTube. Um, and I intend to keep moving that forward with that. My guest or my show sponsor today, Agile Dragon Consulting. If you're a business owner and you're looking to make better business decisions, this is well worth looking into, guys. I re- it, it's something I truly believe in. Um, we especially nowadays we live in a data-driven world. Speaking to somebody about getting good about utilizing your existing data is so unbelievably important. I really cannot stress it enough. It is so important to have that. So important to do that. I highly recommend you guys go check it out. AgileDragonConsulting.com. Follow me personally, Harrison underscore Baron, and the the Brutally Honest podcast everywhere else. I'll see you guys later. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.